lovely, beautiful, confidant. Welcome to Confidently Insecure, the podcast where we are absolutely sure that we don't know everything. And I am so excited. We are on our second episode here in the month of May. It is Mental Health Month. You know, this month I am bringing you experiences and talks and new people to talk about their experience and journey with mental health. We're covering everything from ADHD, psychiatry, bipolar, anxiety, like let's get into it. I am so excited to announce our guest. And before I do, I just want to say a little caution. Of course, we're talking about sensitive subjects here in mental health month, but we're all sensitive beings in here to be for each other. And I think you guys will be just fine. All right, let's get into it here with me. I've got scout Sobel founder of scouts agency and the okay Sis podcast scout. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I must say I am so honored to be lined up in this mental health awareness month. It's it's making yes. my heart sing, but it's also so great that you're dedicating a whole month to this very specific topic. I love it. Absolutely. I mean, I love that society and uh, pop culture is a recognizing the month of May to be that thing. But I struggle with mental health every day. So it's kind of like mental health month life for me. But uh, I also have to give the energy right back to you for being so open and honest and, and destigmatizing. And I'm so excited to kind of get into it. Um, just for like a preface, I have a very intimate experience uh, with bipolar myself. And then in my life, um, I was misdiagnosed as bipolar and I'm actually having someone on in like two weeks to talk about that, how often that happens, especially for women. But besides that experience of like what I know about bipolar, I am surrounded by, um, experiences in my life very intimately with, um, mania and psychosis and hypomania. And I feel like a, veteran in the area, but of course it coming from someone's personal experience is so different. And so again, thank you for talking about this. And I would love to kind of just start with where does your experience with mental health begin? Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, my sister always says that I'll tell the fucking barista I'm bipolar (laughs) on a 2 PM on a Tuesday, just because I don't, I've never quite understood why, that would be something that I should be ashamed of or not speak out of my mouth. So people always tell me, thank you for being open. And I, I respond with, well, I just don't really know how else to be. So, Amen. you know, I'm, I'm happy that it resonates and lands with people. But my mental health journey really started when I was 14 years old. I was a freshman in high school and I found out that my mother was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and went through like kind of like my first breakup and, Oof. you know, I was already writing emotional poetry the year uh. before. I was primed, right? Just super <laughs> primed. and. Yeah. I fell super, super deeply into a depressive episode where I was, I like to say, I don't know if experimenting is the right word or kind of trying to grasp onto anything that would give me a sense of control in this newfound depressive episode. Mm -hmm. So I was restricting food. I was purging. And while I don't identify as having an eating disorder, um, that was an experience that I went through. I was self-harming. I was wearing you know, monochromatic sweatpants and not the cool athleisure where you see today. It was not cute. Yeah, big difference. (laughs) Yeah, big difference. And I just really isolated very, very quickly. And it it lasted for months. And when my school found out that I was self-harming, they told 
my parents who put me into therapy Mm. and it was an interesting it was an interesting time because a lot of the times when you're a teenager and you're in therapy they're confused whether or not you have mental health issues right. as far as an illness or if you're yes. going through the hormonal p- yeah, yeah exactly and so I was kind of just in and out of therapy all of high school but none of my friends were but it was just very known that I go into these phases where I get very depressed there were nights when I couldn't finish my homework not because I couldn't cognitively get through the worksheet or the essay or the multiple choice whatever it was but I felt a lot of emotional paralysis and just moving through yeah. ordinary things. And then I but then I would have moments where everything was great and beautiful and lovely. But I really was always the anxious one of the group. I was like, we're going to get caught. We shouldn't go <sighs> to that party. We shouldn't host the party. And so right. looking back, my friends identified me as being different. And I say that quite loosely because I don't I don't think I'm different. I think I'm just human. But <laughs> my my emotional experience was starting to stick out as something that maybe needed more attention. So that's really where it started. It wasn't until I left for college as a freshman that I started developing extreme paranoia and psychosis. So I believed men were following me home. I believed they were under my bed, in my closet, outside my door, waiting to come harm and kill me. And I would lose touch with reality and start planning escape routes and be frozen. And so I called my dad hysterically crying. And at that point, he was like, okay, well, is this because, you know, I just got divorced from your mother and you moved out? Mm -hmm. And I think it was very clearly the moment of, okay, something's happening to me that needs um, a little bit more serious medical attention. So that's when I started opening up to more psychiatry, to more intensive therapy, was officially diagnosed at the age of 20, but it took me years to be kind of this functioning person. I went through inpatient once, they locked me up on 5150. I went through Mm. outpatient twice, dealt with extreme episodes of catatonia, um, dropped out of college, quit jobs. I mean, I was like, fuck, it was done. I, I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything. Yeah, so, shit. but that's a little bit about, about how it started. Wow. And so, so many things stick out. I mean, like, thank you for such a, uh, I think really beautiful, um, story of this experience. I mean, I think it's kind of, I I'm sure you can agree. Like looking back on it now, it's made you who you are. It's given you the strength, but like when you're in it, it is the, scariest. And again, I'm speaking from experience with people that I love, um, that experience this, it's very embarrassing. Like they were just very embarrassed of what their psychosis was because it is a being out of touch with reality. And I guess I need to back up just a little bit and talk about the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two, which what are your thoughts on just diagnoses in general and the, and the two different, um, you know, kind of black and white diagnoses. Yeah. So very good. Thank you for bringing that up. I am bipolar type two disorder. So that means I lean more heavily towards the depressive side. Mm. So I don't really, and have never really experienced a full episode of mania. It's much more Mm. hypomania. And the reason I was reflecting on this, why do I leave out my experience of hypomania so much is really because it's fun. It's not dangerous (laughs) and it hasn't really done anything terrible over my life. 
So in that LOL. sense, <laughs> yeah. So in that sense, um, That's too I, real. <laughs> it, I mean, yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like, you know, like I kind of That's feel like my steering wheel is ecstasy right now. Awesome. I, you know, <laughs> I, I literally wrote in my book. I'm not sure if you knew about my book. I mean, like I should also mention your agency has gotten a lot of guests on this podcast. Like you have actually linked us with some amazing people. And I don't think I've ever sent you guys my book, but in the book, it, it's called don't fucking panic this shit. They don't tell you in therapy about anxiety disorder, panic attacks and depression. And I have a whole chapter dedicated to cocaine. And I'm like, listen, Coke is, I'm not going to lie. It's fucking awesome. And it's fun. And the experience made my anxiety like a positive anxiety, but every other aspect of the journey with it made me want to fucking die. And I was like, well, I'll allow myself to experience this kind of hypo, you know, induced hypomania. But I was sort of allowing that space to exist. And then the consequences were very um, reminiscent of major depressive disorder episodes. Yes, I will say that my hypomania is not as intense as a potential cocaine or ecstasy <laughs> trip. Oh, good. Good. So that's what I mean by when I say that I don't talk out. about it too much right. because I've never had to manage it. Like it's never, mm. I mean, one time I spent too much money or sometimes I talk too fast and I feel yeah. embarrassed afterwards yeah. or it usually manifests as like I'm driving and I'm like, I'm on fucking ecstasy for like 10 yeah. minutes or something, but <laughs> I've never acted erratically or, or put myself in danger or other people mm. in danger with it. So yeah. I guess it's just something I haven't really explored in the way that I, or I don't present it automatically, but it is right. important to, to say that is because I'm bipolar too. So right. depression's right. more my home, more my comfort zone, <laughs> but the kind of dip in everything right. being okay and forgetting about my depression to super down within like, you know, yeah. 12, 12, 24 hours is more my yeah. experience. And I thank you for that. I want to kind of compare that to when I was misdiagnosed, because like you said, it's so fucking hard to diagnose in women. It often doesn't get diagnosed until after they're like hormonal teenage stage. And we're finding more and more research about like, when does it actually develop? Does it stem from trauma? I mean, people love that book, The Body Keeps Score. It's showing like there's trigger points in your life that it's kind of like shaking up a soda bottle early on in life. And then it comes out in these sort of manic or paranoia or psychotic episodes. And I, when I went to inpatient, I was explained that bipolar symptoms and the um, experience with it felt almost like anybody could relate to it. If you're an outgoing type a like Leo performer person, I felt like, well, yeah, of course I get really excitable. Like, well, yeah, of course I want to do risky things sometimes like that's living. It's fun. And then I got diagnosed as bipolar and it took me years to kind of look back on that and be like, wait, no, those were just human experiences and, and the ride of emotional life versus can you maybe speak to how it is different? Like if someone should go, wait a minute, this seems more than just the emotional range and depth that life has to offer. Yeah, it's so interesting because now I'm exploring what the emotional, you know, range that life has to offer in a much more healthy and boundary oriented and beautiful, beautifully grounded place as I've kind of emerged from 
truly the depths and despairs of bipolar disorder and being and feeling a little or not a little bit more confident. But I've fortunately gotten to a point where I am so confident in my ability to manage and handle my emotions that Mm. I don't catastrophize and I don't add fuel to the fire when depression, anxiety, psychosis does hit me. I'm able Mm. to really recognize what's going on and understand that it's here for a purpose. It's here as a guide. It's here as a mentor and a sign and know that I am safe. So that took a really, really long time. (laughs) But while I was in the thick of things, if this is something that the, the, the real main, and I mean, yes, people are super highly functioning with mental illness, but I think the thing for me personally that was that was the kind of, uh, you know, the glass tipped over with, you know, it's an illness instead of just kind of having difficulty with life was that the symptoms took me out so significantly. Mm. So I would walk to French class and I would stand in front of the door and I couldn't open the door and I had to go home Oof. or I just couldn't bear the thought of getting up and going to work. I, yeah. I quit jobs. And when I say jobs, I mean, I was a gelato scooper. I was a hostess. I was working at a, at a yeah. bookstore. Like these were, these were kind of minimum wage jobs that I couldn't function with. So mm. one is your mental health impeding on your ability to function in life yeah. on a basic survival, social, economic standpoint. And two, are you experiencing symptoms that you are unsure how to crawl out of? Mm. Are they so intense that you're starting to get scared. If you're starting to get scared, I don't care if it's an actual mental illness diagnosis. That's an indication that it's time to work on your mental health, which I believe now that every single person, one, should have the privilege and gets to and has full permission to work on their mental health at all stages of their (laughs) life. So when it becomes, and I'll take this from the AA community, which I'm not a part of, but my husband is. (laughs) Yeah. When your life becomes unmanageable, when an aspect of your life becomes unmanageable because of your mental health, it's time to pause and do a really, really deep dive and maybe implement a little bit more structure of help, support, self-help groups. I mean, Mm -hmm. support groups, self-help books, listening Mm -hmm. to certain podcasts. You know, when I was diagnosed, there was not anybody else that I knew you know, that was nine years ago. And even nine years ago, hashtag self-care wasn't a thing. Hashtag self-love wasn't a thing. When she said bipolar, I had to Google it and I thought it was a death sentence. And so that's what's so beautiful. I think if you're listening to this and you're realizing, oh shit, there are aspects of my life that are unmanageable because of my mental health, that just the fact that this month exists, that this podcast series exists in this month means that there's so much help and resources for you. So it's a beautiful thing. And and also I'll just say this last thing is that if you are listening to this and you are, you are realizing that mental health gets to be a priority for you from here on out, that on the other side is the best version of your life. And it is just an initiation. It is just, you are just being initiated to get to know Mm. yourself a little bit more. That Mm. is all it is. It is not an attack on you. Mm. It is not an illness that is trying to destroy you. It's Mm. actually an emotional experience that is saying you get to be better. You Mm. get to grow and you get to be more connected within. And I promise you, welcome. It's going to be hard, but it's beautiful. 
I could not have fucking said that better myself. And I feel like I'm trying to translate that message all the time. Like, and I hate that it's also, it tends to be in your like twenties and thirties, maybe like if it's a later on in life thing. And it tends to be that time where you feel most ostracized or lowest about your self-esteem. And like, it just so happens to be that time that's very sensitive for people and it's hard for me who's on the other side, like you, the best version of myself. I truly fucking believe that to tell people like all we can do is shout from the rooftops that life beyond your worst fucking moments do exist and that you deserve to be here. And that all you have to do is stay, you know, like I, that's all I can do being on the other side. And I think that that's why, like, I, I love that you and I have very similar experiences of not knowing and now the knowing because my uh my message that I tend to preach is how much knowledge is power and I don't mean just looking in the fucking DSM-5 I mean exactly what you said listen to podcasts find reddit threads like Instagram meet people where they're talking about their genuine experience with it because you're going to find so much more there than in the books and Google and fucking WebMD that we have, because that shit sounds scary and it puts you in a box and you're like, Oh God, that's how I need to live. Versus if you go to the people who have the lived experience, it's so much more of a fucking spectrum. And that's, that was one of my questions about like, how do you feel? Because people in my life that experience this kind of go back and forth with the idea of almost like it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. It's about management moving forward and you can call it whatever the fuck you want, but I think people tend to stay away from a label. Yeah. Yeah. It's my relationship with the label. Um, before I get into that, I just want to say if you're having trouble identifying that like path, say to yourself, I can't wait to meet the woman or man who's on the other side of this. That just helps me. Like if my sister's going through a rough time and I know she's about to grow in a very personal development, I say, I can't wait to meet the mads that's about to emerge oh, from this challenge. That's so and it's beautiful. Just, yeah. It's really, it's just a nice way to visualize it if, if that works for you. But Hell yeah. with my diagnosis, um, you know, I identify with it. I am not attached to it. I think it's a nice, easy way to communicate with others. Um, just a level of my mental health experience versus like, let me tell you the whole story so that you can paint the picture. You know, it's just right. kind of that that thing that gets you in the door just so people get what we're talking about here. But I will say that I think that within the therapeutic and psychiatric model and care that I was under for so many years, I think that the way potentially the label was used with me was a negative attachment. Mm. It was, we have to monitor you. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, if you ever get that deep, you go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. It was very clinical and, yes. v and it made me feel different from them. It made me feel different from others and it yep. made me unable to trust myself because Oof. if doctors had to monitor me and they were worried about me, how could I ever trust that Oof. I could do it by myself? There's something controlling me then, right? And so I believe that that was such a disempowering narrative that yes. I really hope is removed from psychiatry and therapy. You know, not all, I'm not generalizing, but there sure. are certain aspects. And so today... 
Um, I say I'm bipolar, but it rings a different weight than it did a few years ago. Yes. I used to say I'm bipolar and it was this cage. Mm -hmm. Now I say I'm bipolar and it's this evidence of strength, really. So it's just a different way to look at it. And, And in many ways, I believe that diagnoses and labels allow us to understand what's going on or at least allow us give us permission to focus on something. If you have no diagnosis, maybe you won't focus on it. Maybe the diagnosis is the thing that says, okay, this is important. Uh However, in that too, to get super attached to it as something that is beyond your control, um, I don't think necessarily serves you. And I always say, I can't control what emotion arises today. The only thing I can control is how I react to that emotion. And in that reaction is... The difference between me driving to myself to the hospital because I feel Mm. like I'm going insane Mm. and me having a cathartic cry on the floor in the Mm. middle of my mastermind, which happened to me yesterday and not calling (sighs) anyone and then arising Uh, and saying, whew, I just did that. I mean, that is so amazing that you are in that place in your journey because I think it's worth noting that it is a little bit of work, right? Like it is usually an experience where a you lot of work. Come, yeah, like it, it comes from fear based experience. Usually when you have like your first episode or, or, you know, hospitalization or MP, whatever, it, it usually comes from fear. Then it goes to kind of um, acceptance and knowledge. And then what you make of that being so strong and empowering, like, it, it, that is also work. Like I still have to read mantras to myself every single day. It's like exercising. If you, if you don't use it, you lose it. And what you're using is, is your toolkit. Right. And, and we can talk a little bit about your toolkit, but before I'd love to talk about, I am the fascinated is the wrong word because it makes it sound like I'm it's a spectacle and it's not, but I am so interested in constantly diving into psychosis and what it, that experience is. And I I wrote a little bit about it in my book of like, I thought me having a panic attack, wanting to die, laying on the floor, unable to move, agoraphobic, you know, underweight, just absolutely literally wanting to kill myself all the time. I thought that was like the bottom. And then I saw The weather is getting warmer, so it is time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now that I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortless, effortless, less, yeah, effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from 30 doll hairs, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I can confirm this. I'm actually wearing Quince pants right now. You are. They are so, they're, they're loose. They're breezy. These babies have a button, a fly, drawstring, and elastic in the band. So I can like, I can dress them up. I can dress them down. Yes. They are, they're the perfect 
pant for summer and I'm really comfortable as hell in them. Honestly, I am wearing the Quince 14 karat gold earring loop right now. Oh my God. I know. I think it's so cute. It does not tarnish. It is so comfy and I have sensitive ears so I'm really loving this for my body. So get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Kelsey for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Kelsey to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash Kelsey. This line in mental health where people draw like a line with anxiety and depression and ADHD is okay, but then you go to bipolar and disassociative identity disorder. And it feels like, and I've talked about this on the podcast before that society draws a line once psychosis is involved, the detachment from reality. When in reality, when I'm having a panic attack, I feel detached from reality, but society has kind of made this psychosis sound so scary. And so can you maybe talk a little bit about your experience with that particularly? Yes, I can. And psychosis is quite scary because I think it's probably the most poignant and concentrated experience Mm. of witnessing the power of the human brain. Um, And I'll, I'll say I am blessed that my psychosis experience has not ever put me in harm's way or completely, Mm. completely derailed something specific and in a, you know, safety way or whatever. Um, For me, it was, it started with thinking that men were following me. It it started with a really, really intense sense of paranoia. And I remember I would have, my friends check my car at night to make sure no one was in the car and I would get in and drive home and I would still have to have my dad on the phone while I was driving home just in case a guy came out from my back seat, even though my brain had visual evidence and the confirmation of others that I was safe. Mm. And so it's your brains almost for me specifically, it was my brain's inability to cognitively process fact because it was replacing it with a projection that it wanted to see at that moment. Mm. So I, in my psychosis moments, feel as if I always had something grounded in reality. There was always something mm. in me that said, I know this is psychosis. Yeah. And I can't imagine what would happen if that small percentage was right. taken away. So yes. I'm grateful that I always had that. Wow, um, yeah. But it's manifested in different ways. Um you know, imagery is not my thing. I don't see things. I've heard things in my brain. I've had, the, I've heard voices, but then I've also had this weird thing where there's thoughts in my brains that aren't mine. And I feel mm. like someone is placing thoughts into my brain and I'm like mm. looking around like who's controlling up here. Mm. And so it's, and then there's disassociation. Right. You know, I was sitting in my apartment in my bed and I didn't, I knew my husband was next to me. I knew my dog. I knew this was my apartment, but I felt as if I wasn't there. I felt as Mm. if it wasn't real. I felt as if I had zero empathy or connection to any of it, which is really scary. Um, I experienced it yesterday. You know, I just felt so disassociated. I couldn't follow. I was on a call and I couldn't follow what the person was trying to tell me. And so I just shut off and totally went into crying. I couldn't recognize myself in the mirror. So in all of that, that. 
Yeah, it's so bad. And all of that, I will say that I'm I am very blessed because I've always been able to hold even a percentage Mm -hmm. of something is happening to me Mm -hmm. that is not and I hate the word normal, but we'll just normal, use it real quick. Sure. That isn't normal. Right. And so hold on, hold on real quick because yes. we'll, we'll come out. We're just yes. going into, I don't know, spirit world into right. whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Like what it, what's visiting vacation. me right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the way I, I view my psychosis, but it really is mm. the thing that I would really, really not like to amplify because, yes. um, Yeah. I totally hear you on that. And there is some similarities in just the way you're talking about it that, again, even though I've been misdiagnosed as bipolar, I experience with panic disorder, the looking down and my hands don't feel like my hands and I feel like I'm in someone else's body, but I'm still me and that my surroundings aren't real or that I'm not real. I mean, like the brain can do some very funky stuff when it is in that place. And I love that you said that, you know, there is a percentage of you that is aware because it almost feel like you, you skip to super mode, like super healing mode where, where you got the, the end goal of being aware without judgment and not saying that you don't get upset or have emotion with it. But that's the experience that I had to learn how to do too with panic disorder is like, see this bitch coming, know that she stays for a while, know that she makes herself at home in my brain. She doesn't live here, but you just got to ride that wave. And that's where I think we can talk about the toolkit coming in. And I know you mentioned your husband and your dog, and I'd love to hear just about like your support system and your toolkit and what you have found to be the best sort of management for you, knowing also that like, you don't need to name medications or anything like that, because I tend to stay away from that just because I don't want people, you know, comparing their experience to mine. (laughs) You froze for a second. What did you say about medication? (laughs) I was saying you don't need to, um, like if you're not comfortable naming medication, I totally understand because I tend to not, because I just think that that's like a little worrisome if people are, I get it. Yeah, yeah, Uh, totally. So my support system today is the same, but the relationship to the support system is quite different. So in the beginning of my mental health, not in the beginning, in the thick of it, when I was college dropout, couldn't hold a job, unfunctioning, all of those things, I outsourced my emotions to my support system. So when I couldn't feel it anymore or I freaked out and I was scared, I would say, you deal with this. You come home from work. You watch me all day. You bring me dinner tonight. You write a note to my boss to tell them I can't come in. Wow. Because I was unable at that point in my life to hold myself Mm. and in that you know I think it's different for a parent than it is for a spouse yeah I think parents are much more willing to hold those emotions for you right but when it came to my spouse my husband um you know he looked at me about two months into dating and said listen I don't care if you're depressed if you're depressed and hopeful I'll be in this relationship If you're depressed and hopeless, I can't do this. Ah, uh, and I love that. It wasn't until he started pushing back at me and mm-hmm. saying, hey, I can't leave work. I have a life. Right. It wasn't until he came home and I saw a look on his face and he said, how would you feel if every three months I was diagnosed with a terminally ill terminal cancer diagnosis? Mm-hmm. 
That's what I go through with you every three months. Every three months, I don't know if you're going to make it out. Oh, shit. And I thought to myself, I made a commitment to, Mm. to be married to this man and to give him my love and support and a life with me. Mm. This is the life I'm giving him. Mm, And that's not to say that it was my fault per se. But at that point, it was my fault that I wasn't taking responsibility. Mm. I had Mm. the tools. Mm. I had been around the block Mm. by that point. There were things that I could do. Right. I wasn't taking radical responsibility over the cards that I was dealt. Damn. No matter how many times I outsource my emotions to my husband, that will not make me stronger and that will not make me happy. That Mm. will make me temporarily relief because I'm not actually looking life in the eye. That's a way to numb. That's a way to take yourself out of the equation. Yes. So when I saw that and he, he said that, my world totally shifted. And yes. at that point, I was already functioning. So I was already working and, and et cetera. But yet I was still emotionally not, that, not the best. Right. And um, that's really when I started asking myself, what would it take to feel safe in my emotions? Ooh. And so now my support system is a very healthy support system relationship where I take care of me. And if I really need something, they know I'm going to them because I've exhausted my options and there's something within me that just needs an extra helping hand today. Mm. This is not to deter people that you shouldn't reach out. 100% you should reach out. But sometimes after years of living with a mental illness, Mm -hmm. it's, it's unfair to dump everything on your support system. And so there's a difference between having a support system and escaping responsibility for your healing. So that's a lesson, a hard lesson that I had to learn that, you know, we're still dealing with the ramifications of within my marriage, just that, that trauma of me being like that. So my support system is huge, but my relationship to myself is, is more of the piece of the equation here. And my tools are so wide and broad. Um, I like to start the day without looking at my phone for the first yes. two hours. I wow, also run. Two. Yeah. I do an hour. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, but I look two. at the phone to open a podcast to walk, but I won't look at text, yes, yes, Instagram, yes, yes, yes. all that. Yeah, um, love that. I run my own agency. And so sometimes when you're the owner of the business, like that's a really, really big anxiety trap is to get into that right away. So I don't look at my phone. I have a pretty extensive alone time morning routine where I journal first thing in the morning, yes. just kind of a brain dump. I have not yes. read The Artist's Way, but they call it morning pages. And yes. That allows me just to process and connect within. Um, I pull cards. So I have a few decks that I like to pull in the morning. I light my Palo Santo. I go for a walk. Um, I utilize cupping and acupuncture as tools for anxiety. I like to do that twice a month. Um, But I would say, you know, my number one tool today that helps me, I'm actually now uh, six months off medication. Wow. um, Which feels good, but... That's such a personal, personal path. Um, My number one tool is my relationship to my spirituality, my relationship to God of my understanding. 
Um, prayer is a huge, huge part of my practice. Being connected to source, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, is my number one, number one, I don't even want to know if tool is the right word, right. but relationship like in my truth, life. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, 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 I'm actually glad you brought that up because one of my next questions was about spirituality and you know, it, what I have seen not only terribly portrayed in the media, but then I've seen it actually reflect reflected in life. And I've been like, ah, oh, God damn it. This is just such a terrible stigma. But like in those manias and psychosis, there is a lot of spirituality involved. Um, you know, saying things that are godlike. people believe they are God, the second coming and I'm the one who grew up in a Baptist church that went to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I can still name all the books of the Bible. I was a little bit more traumatized into church and I find it blipping out in experiences of my life where I'm able to recognize like, oh, that's what that is. But then I've seen it in, in people that I love where it's almost like that experience comes out in their mania and and darker times and I'm wondering it sounds like it's such a positive thing to you and I've shifted my spirituality from God in the sky southern baptist life to connection to earth and like one and all of us being connected and and mindfulness and and um like I said mantras very witchy shit even too like I got my crystals I got my sage I've got all my shit I, I love astrology like I'm such a basic bitch but I was curious about your spirituality as it relates to the times you've been through versus now so I grew up Jewish, but I was never religiously Jewish. It was much more of a cultural thing. However, yeah. I was very, very ingrained in the Jewish community. I actually did not have a friend in my phone book that wasn't Jewish <gasps> until I was 18. Wow. I Where did went you grow up? Are you New York? San Diego. Oh, pff, literally. Okay, down the street. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So I went to a Jewish school my whole life. But it was, yeah, we, you know, read the Torah and talked about God, but that wasn't super my experience. Like I didn't, I just thought, I never really thought about it. And I never really had a personal connection to God. Um, mm -hmm. In the Jewish religion, I think it's very interesting that we have kind of the religion and then we have the culture. And a lot mm -hmm. of us secular Jews identify more with the culture. Right. So um, in my darkest times and in my manic times, God was not there. So I wow. never experienced this sense of, godlike or even being in touch with the spirit universe etc mm. that was not my experience mm. um my spiritual experience started my husband is 10 years sober uh, actually two days ago and oh my gosh, happy birthday yeah. to the husband. and so when i met my husband and we started dating he introduced me to the 12 steps because he went through alcoholics anonymous and one of these steps is to find a higher power of your understanding. And I think that's actually really the crucial step of what keep people sober. And so that was my introduction to a higher power. And I didn't understand what it meant. And maybe I didn't even feel it, but I was willing to try it. And in that, I felt comforted, but I wasn't quite sure if this was exactly that, just a comfort in a time of need yes. or if it was real. And so... As I started developing into my healing journey, um, I started 
kind of exercising more natural holistic healing modalities that really are involved in the spiritual community, such as Reiki and cupping and yoga and meditation and breath work. And so I was really in the community, but I wouldn't say I had a spiritual practice until this is going to also sound basic. I went to Tulum on my honeymoon and love that I started. <laughs> I was reading Gabby Bernstein in Tulum, you know, very, uh, very our what generation. <laughs> yeah, very our generation. And it wasn't until then that I really, really started seeing synchronicities, seeing the way my life was supported, seeing that nothing is random mm. and my ability to connect and converse with the universe. So I pick a sign. It's the Rolling Stones. Whenever I need to know if I'm on the right path, I ask the universe to show it to me. And within 24 hours, I get it. It's really crazy. And to be honest, I just started to see things as pure magic. Yeah. People can call them random. They can call them Miracles. meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but I see such beauty. And yes. so my spirituality, it's, it's actually the hardest thing. I, I, it's the thing that I have the most difficulty explaining Yeah. Uh-huh. because it's so specifically unique to all of us. But in a nutshell, I believe that everything that's happened to me, to me in my life is for me and not to me. Oof. I believe that I am universally held by a loving force that is, more expansive and more beautiful than we can ever imagine. I believe that love and goodness and all of that is truly our birthright and what we all deserve. I believe that when we ask, we receive. I believe that when we get super, super in touch with our intuition, we are guided in that sense. You know, so often we go so to the rational mind, but there is beauty in gut feelings. There is beauty in inner knowings. And sometimes I think we forget to trust ourselves. So it looks so many different ways to me, you know, mind body connection, feeling as embodied into feeling as embodied as I possibly can, Um, stepping into my personal power, praying to God. It's just, I think this lifestyle perspective that all of this is for something, there is a meaning and that one, it's all connected. And I, I like shudder when I say that because it sounds so cliche, but when you realize it's true, yeah. it like totally blows your mind. But yes. I mean, this is probably a conversation for another day, but I'm into the like spirit world, the reincarnation, like go. all that stuff, you know, coming. I knew it was coming that you're so, Oh right. like, yeah, it is. I've actually had a, an episode a long time ago about that. You know, my neighbor is a witch and she is, and she, that sounded crazy five years ago. And now it's like, no, we all believe we have that witchy uh, gene. And, and when you talk about gut feeling, I can't fucking emphasize that enough of how our brain is in our gut and how the gut was the first brain and how we should listen to that feeling. And especially as women, I just, I, I resonate so much with everything you're saying. And I cannot believe we've already been talking for 40 minutes because this is such a wonderful, easy conversation that I cannot stress enough how proud I am of your healing journey, because it is what I wish I could scream from the rooftop so eloquently the way you do and how to emphasize that and reach those people that feel like we have felt five, 10 years ago in our lives and continue to feel, I mean, like it never goes away. It's just about your management. And like, for some people, the management helps that to feel like it's 
uh, cured in a way. And I, I stay away from that word, but what you're saying is so valuable. And I, I hope you'll come back. I'd love to know what you have going on. What's next. I know you're working on a couple projects. I'd love to hear like what you can tell us. Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me. This was, this was awesome. I love, I love riffing about this stuff, especially with someone who really gets it. So I appreciate you opening this space. (laughs) Yeah. Um, what do I have in the works? Well, right now, um, I'm in the middle of a mental health May challenge with my community, which is just free five minute daily resources, tools, or mindset shifts that I email to you to kind of help you take priority over your mental health, which you can find all of that on my Instagram at Scout Sobel. I host a podcast called Scout Podcast, which is a solo episode. So if you liked what I had to say here, they're just ramblings about different topics. Um, within my healing journey, I kind of do intersection between mental health and entrepreneurship a lot. Oh, yes. Um, what? We need that. We need more crossover of mental health and entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's really my jam. I recognized yeah. very quickly that mental illness and entrepreneurship are our best friends. They uh, They operate the same way. So I talk a lot about how to feel safe in your emotional landscape if you're starting your own thing, et cetera. So yeah, come follow me at Scout Sobel on Instagram. All my stuff is there. Literally, I launched my new business uh, two weeks ago and I just got my first raise in a company. Like I'm exactly where I need to be to enter your world of what you call ramblings and saying things. That is like, couldn't be more perfect timing. Look at the universe doing its shit right in front of us. Okay, so I'm coming out with a book sometime <gasps> this year that is all about the intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship. I'll have the PDF ready. I'll email it to you when I get it next week so you can I'm take a look. literally already emailing my PR lady to send you the book and some goodies because I just know we're going to have such a crossover in life. You know, I I just feel the vibes through the Zoom screen. (laughs) Me too. Me too. I love it. Amazing. Well, Scout, thank you so much for coming on again and sharing your story. Don't ever stop. I know you won't. Um, Make sure to check out all the links below. Scout stuff will be there. So excited for the book. uh, Whenever you're writing it, like, please let us know uh, where we can find that. And then also, Confidants, you always know that you can rate this five stars on iTunes. It really helps. If you're not going to rate it five stars, please don't rate it at all because I am sensitive. Speaking of being sensitive, you can go get the merch online. The link will be below and we will see you next week. And there's going to be some resources below. Wow. That's a new thing I added to the closing of this. There's going to be some mental health resources in the links below. So go check that out too. All right, confidants. Thanks so much. See you next week. 